All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a brand new episode of SCAR. And SCAR stands for Seeking Courage and Redemption with Dustin Rivenbark. Now, before we get into an awesome episode today, I want to give you kind of the intent of the podcast, kind of the why are we here, so to speak. And we're here to work out our hardships, our tribulations, our issues in such a way that we can begin to unfold God's plan and purpose for our lives. Now, you may be listening and say, but Dustin, why do I need to listen to SCAR? And the truth is, guys, we all have stuff. We all have hardships. We all have issues that can begin to accumulate and even change the trajectory of our lives. So that's exactly why we need to all be plugged in. It's a safe place for us to unload our stories, unload our knowledge, unload our wisdom uh, and hardships and triumphs, all in a safe way where we can begin to uncover God's plan for our lives. Now, with that being said, I have got a wonderful group of ladies this time that is joining together doing a book collaboration on infant and child loss. And so this is very, very powerful episode. And I'm excited and ecstatic to introduce these ladies uh, to you. Ladies, if you can all just kind of jump on and say hello really quick. Hey, you guys. Hi. Hi there. Hello. All right. Okay. So we have got Michelle Smith, Amy Lands, Jasmine Bosley, and Amy Rivenbark all on the line here. So let me kind of, um, uh, Michelle is from Portland, Oregon. Amy Lands is from California. Jasmine, Phoenix, Arizona, and Amy right here in good old Columbia, Alabama. And so we are all able to connect, thank God, to technology and all of that good stuff and share their story. With that being said, this book collaboration, I firmly believe, is going to help thousands of people um, around the U.S., hopefully even around the world, uh, navigate child loss. We know that child loss, um, uh, me and my wife, Amy, has per personally walked through child loss, experienced it. You've heard our stories before, so we're really interested in capturing the story of these three ladies, Michelle, Amy Lands, and Jasmine Bosley. And so um, with that being said, I want to kind of jump in to their stories really quick and why we feel this book collaboration is so important. Now, um, if you guys as a guest or, or if you guys as listeners remember back, I brought on a lady named Ashley Pittman who shared an amazing story herself of child loss and she is orchestrating and sort of masterminding this whole book release and so um ashley is not on here she wanted it to be about these ladies and their stories and so i want to give a big shout out to her and what she's doing and really giving these ladies a good outlet to share so let's start off with michelle smith let's bring her on hello michelle Hi, you guys. Thanks Hello. for having me. Yes, absolutely. If you don't mind just giving me a, a, a brief overlook of the Michelle Smith story. All right. Um, I was expecting my firstborn in October of 2009. Um, that's when we got the news and had a healthy pregnancy. Everything had been going great. No scares, no hiccups or anything. Um, I am the third daughter out or the third oldest out of four, um, daughters. And so my two oldest had already had children and everyone was like, okay, it's your turn. So I'm all excited. And, um, I think around 18 weeks, we took pictures kind of announcing the pregnancy. Um, and by the time we got to 19 weeks, one morning, I just woke up. Um, and it felt like kind of like my water had broke, but it wasn't like a gush or a lot of fluid. Um, it was just kind of like a trickle, maybe. Um, and so I just reached out to a couple people and was like, hey, is this normal? First pregnancy, you know, you just don't know what is normal. And so I reached out and they were like, yeah, sounds normal. Just, you know, 
watch it monitor it and if it gets worse or it becomes more you need to reach out to your doctor well as the day progressed it did get worse um and so i went into my doctor and by the time i got there i had lost a good amount of fluid and i didn't have any other symptoms i didn't have any cramps or any you know bleeding or anything of that nature i just my water had broke um, and so at the appointment, they confirmed, like, you had a tear in your amniotic sac, but sometimes these things can patch themselves up with bed rest and just, you know, kind of just monitoring it. So they wanted to send me out to what we call our high-risk hospital, um, which is like a 30-minute drive. So they sent me out there for a second opinion. Um, and by the time I got out there, I could tell things had changed. Um, like, I can tell, like, my stomach was, like, no longer firm. Like, I can tell there was a difference. Um, but they had me on monitors, baby was still fine, no signs of distress, I was fine. Um, and so they did an anatomy ultrasound and that's when they confirmed that we have been referring to this baby as a boy, but it was actually a baby girl. And so it was like, oh, okay, it's actually a girl, okay. Um, and so we were fine. Um, they did a bunch of tests, um, but at that appointment, they did confirm, like, pretty much you had lost, I had lost 90% of my fluid at that point. Um, and so they kind of just took me back to the room to give me options. Um, I could go home, let nature take its course, or I could just go to the hospital and get this process started and see what the outcome would be. I did just that. I decided to go to the hospital. Um, and we did not know what we were walking into, but we just trusted that God was going to guide us through that. And yeah. he did. And although it wasn't the outcome that we wanted, it was the outcome that I think that God had planned for us. Um, and so February 21st at 12.02 a.m., Miracle um, was born into this world. She had passed right before delivery um, at 19. I was only 19 weeks pregnant. And so that's kind of the spark for how I got into sharing my story of hope after loss, after experiencing the loss of my firstborn. So let me ask you this. So, so going into 19 weeks, you, you feel this gush, which was the, the tear of the amniotic sac. Um, mm -hmm. You go to this high risk hospital at this time. Are you feeling like, are you feeling like something's really wrong here or we're just getting things checked out? What was your gut telling you during that time? Um, I think I, made or like forced myself to be in a space of just unknown. I didn't want to believe any, like I didn't want to think that this was going to go great. And I didn't want to think that it could go bad. I just wanted to not have any expectations in that moment because it was so unfamiliar for me. And so I just was like, okay, we don't know what's going on, but I have, I had my, he was my boyfriend at the time. I had him with me. Um, I had my mother-in-law or soon to be mother-in-law. I had her with me. And so I had the support around me. And so because everyone else around me was calm, it allowed me to stay calm in that moment. Um, and I think I just was like, okay, don't have any expectations. We don't know what's going to happen. We hope for the best, but yeah. we know that we plan and God plans. So you bring up an interesting point. You had a great support system uh, around you. What advice would you give uh, out there to someone who maybe doesn't, is not lucky enough to have that right now, but maybe hearing this and going through a hardship of their own, whether it's this type of thing or, or um, a, a tragedy all their own, you know, what, what, what kind of advice about people that, that they have around them, um, would you would you give to them? Um, for me, I would just say, without even without the support around me, I had to tap into myself, and I had to tap into that that greater or that higher power that I believed in to be able to guide me through that. And I know it's easier said than done, but when you don't have anyone else around you to really support you through hard times, sometimes you have no choice but to tap in your inner self and have that self-talk and to tap into whoever your higher power is and really kind of rely on that to be your source of strength. So that would be my advice is to really uh, cling onto whatever it is that you need to, your higher power, your inner self, and really trust yourself and trust that higher power to get you through. And I can even um, attest to that because I just had those moments where it was like, I would have to tell myself like, Amy, you're going to get up. You're going to yeah. do this. Like put one foot in front of the next. And, 
And so that is good, uh, a good point to bring up, even if you don't have a support system, just being able to kind of coach yourself in that. And I love this, being able to share our stories because your baby girl's legacy will be able to live on. And, and so by us not holding this back and shutting this down and like kind of submersing it in the world of never happened, you know? Right. And, and so let's, uh, um, I, will, I will come back to you, Michelle. Let's move to Amy Lands uh, out in California. Amy, can you, uh, can you hear us? Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for having me, Dustin. Absolutely. And again, I'm super excited to meet all of you. I cannot wait until um, Don't Struggle in Silence. That's the name I of the book, resilient. correct? I Am Resilient. Yes. And so um, I cannot wait for this book collaboration to come out. Now, I, I want to ask you, um, if you don't mind, just kind of running us um, through a, a brief bit about the Amy Land story so we can kind of see what to expect um, through this new collaboration. Yeah, so my husband and I had been together for 10 years by the time we decided to grow our family. We had been married for three at that point, and we had just experienced our first pregnancy and a miscarriage the month before um, we conceived our daughter. So this was my second pregnancy, but my first baby that I would be bringing home. And uh, my pregnancy was perfect and beautiful and just as I hoped it would be. But I had this inner knowing of um, the fragility of life during that pregnancy because I had just experienced that miscarriage and wanted to appreciate, enjoy, and value every day that I was pregnant with my daughter, Ruthie. Um, my pregnancy was 37 weeks and five days when I went into labor. Labor was beautiful. My husband was there. My uh, mother-in-law, stepmom, and my sister. I had a full house. And... Um, Everything was going as I had hoped, as we had hoped. And um, the moment my daughter was born, she didn't cry. And now even knowing that this was my first delivery, you know, we all wait for that sound of our baby to cry. They quickly whisked her off and um, transferred her to a higher level NICU in an adjoining larger city. Um, it wasn't known for two weeks what was happening with her. She was not progressing in the way that a newborn should. We had never had a baby, so no, what are the milestones they should be hitting? What seeing in her that she wasn't experiencing? And it wasn't until two weeks later that her genetics results came back and they determined that her lack of abilities were due to a chromosomal abnormality. Um, something that they would not have found in prenatal testing. Um, something that wasn't evidenced physically. She was beautifully um, formed inside and out. She had auburn hair. She had the cutest little lips. Um, but she was not awake, for lack of better terms. She experienced a really intense seizures. She was highly medicated just so that she could be comfortable in her body. And my husband and I were faced with really, really hard decisions of what do we do with that? We knew that she wasn't going to survive. Um, we were told she wasn't going to survive. And so we had to make the decision of where will she live her life until she's no longer living? And so we were given three choices. We could bring her home, we could stay in the hospital, or we could go to a pediatric palliative care facility. Um, in the city next to where we were. And ultimately, that's where we ended up. We ended up at George Mark Children's House in San Leandro, California. Um, George Mark is a place where families go for many different types of care for children with life-limiting illnesses. Um, we lived there as a family. Um, we were well taken care of by doctors, nurses, social workers, therapists, and our daughter had her medical needs tended to as well. Um, we stayed there for 12 days. My daughter during that time um, lived. She was no longer hooked up to mas machines and tubes and wires and, um, you know, in an isolate by herself, she was in our arms. And so for 12 days, we watched sunsets, we took walks, we breathed fresh air, we laid on blankets outside with her. And ultimately, when it was time for her 
you know, body to slow down. Um, she ultimately died in my husband's arms and we were supported by not only the medical staff, but also the, um, you know, child life specialists, social workers, and all of those around us who helped navigate that time, you know, that a family really should never have to do period. And then also should never have to do alone. Um, and we are now coming up on a decade. If my daughter were living, she would be 10 in August and life has changed so much during that time. And, you know, I look back on the 33 days that we had with her with such gratitude that I was even given that amount of time with her. Amy, when I, when I hear that story, that is um, such a powerful uh, story. I, that is the picture of resilience, you know, for, for you and, and your family. Um, I, I couldn't even imagine the emotions that you would have been going through, up and down, in and around. I got to ask you, um, how did you do it? How, how did you do it? and and continue life afterwards um and still be able to to be a mom to to your wonderful children to come and how how did you do it amy you know i am a self-proclaimed recovering perfectionist i had my whole life planned you know get married buy a house have a family my career and then many of those things just didn't happen the way that I thought they would. And my daughter taught me the most beautiful gifts that um, our imperfections are what make us perfect. And in her life and in her death and in all the years from that point, I have learned to be in this moment that I don't need to plan and I don't need to have it all marked out on my calendar that right now the most perfect moment is the one that I'm in. And so in the hardest times when we didn't know if she would survive, I had to stay in that moment. In the time when she was living but I knew that she would die, I had to stay in that moment. After she died, when I couldn't even imagine a future life without my child, I had to stay in that moment because anytime I took myself out of the present moment, everything got out of hand. And so the largest gift that she gave me, that I gave myself, the, you know, one of the many things I took from um, our time with her is that we are here now and that's all we can worry about. And that's really what I bring to the table at this point with my, I have two young boys now, they are four and eight and we live right now because there is no guarantee. I don't know how long my life will be or the people who I love. And so in all my moments during the time she was living, the moments since where we are now, I just put one foot in front of the other and I keep my focus on what's happening here you know, because I, that's all I have control over. You know, I, I, there's so much wisdom uh, in that. When I listen to Michelle's story, when, when I listen to your story, Amy, I, and, and, I, and I look back at, at our story, not only did we lose our daughter, Callie Grace, a few months later, I lost my mom and then my grandmother all in the same year. And I kind of see this pattern of we only get one shot at this life, this side of heaven. And so um, really right now is all we have. And I know I've heard Amy, um, my wife, um, helping and, and trying to to mentor other ladies and she basically tells them kind of the same thing, sort of like like just one day at a time. One. Right, because that was one of the biggest things for me is um, because I was, I was pregnant and we knew that we had the diagnosis, that, that the doctors were saying she wasn't going to make it. Um, and so I had kind of the same thing, like, okay, well, what can we do? Like, I knew there were some therapies that could be used um, possibly to to make things better. So I was like contacting all these major hospitals and, and networking. Um, I even talked to a lady that, um, had went through and, and done some amnio infusion type things. Um, and her daughter ultimately did live, had Potter syndrome. And so I thought, you know, this is what I need to do. And it was that control. I wanted to fix it. 
And um, as doors were closing, you know, I realized that, you, you know, I've got to stay right here in this moment. What we have her today, what can we do today? Yeah. And um, right. that was just um, really a godsend for me to say, I can't control tomorrow. I can't worry about what's already happened, but I'm right here right now. And I think that's, that's vital for our listeners to hear, to just, to just slow down and, and stay where you are in that moment. Right. You no, know, Amy, I, I, I look at, or I listen to your story and I know, you know, this, but, um, or else you wouldn't even be on this journey to try to, to help others. But, you know, it, it wasn't in vain. Like, like, like your daughter's legacy, like it, it was not in vain. And, and there are so many people who can be touched by this and moved by this. And I, I just give it to all of you for having the courage um, and that's exactly what this podcast is all about, seeking uh, courage and redemption. And so I just, I can't thank you enough. Um, and, and I can't give you ladies an, enough credit and, and, and all credit be to God to, to who has just kind of paved the way um, for you guys to um, bring your story together. And, and so if, if I can, um, Let's go to Jasmine. Uh, if we can bring Jasmine on really quick. And um, Jasmine, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. All right. Uh, Miss Jasmine, so um, if you don't mind, please tell us um, a little bit of, of your story and, um, and kind of how we got here. So, um, as many are aware, um, Ashley and I, um, we used to work together in the same agency. And I found out I was pregnant in March of 2008. Um, I found out that I um, was going to have a baby. So, of course, it's my, I had had a, a miscarriage previous to that, but this was, I was further along in this pregnancy. I was three months. Um, yeah, I think I was about three months when I found out. And so I had all the emotions. I was 19. I was scared. I was excited. I didn't know what to do. First pregnancy. Um, but going forward, I was with my boyfriend then at the time. We found out that we were pregnant. Um, eventually found out that we were having a little boy. Um, so we named him Isaiah, Isaiah Lashon. Um, he was named after um, my boyfriend's brother at the time. So fast forward, pregnancy is pretty good. I'm having morning sickness, kind of the normal things that you go through in pregnancy. And on to the delivery, I really went until my due date. My due date was February 20th of 2009. And February 19th, my water broke. Um, Coincidentally, my boyfriend's grandfather had just passed the week before. So his funeral was the day that my water broke. Um, With that, I... They didn't want me to go to the funeral because they were afraid that I was going to go into labor. So I I wasn't feeling it. I didn't really have an appetite or anything. So I went upstairs and I I laid down. And as soon as I laid down, I felt a a pop and I felt a gush. First first full-time pregnancy, so I don't really know what's going on. So I called a play mom of mine. And I asked her, I'm like, hey, don't my water break? They're like, she's like, yeah, water broke. So we're... On the hospital, winter storm. Um, fast forward, after about 18 hours of labor, they decide that they find out my son is in distress. So we have an emergency C-section. Well, as of Amy, um, well, just like Amy, my son was born, he didn't cry. So it was about 10 minutes, the nurses, um, they scurried over and they worked on them. After about 10 minutes, I heard cry, which was music to my ears. Because that's the first thing as a mother, you, you want to hear the cry. 
So we were able to take him home, and I went home about maybe three or four days after delivering having Terry, and everything was perfect. I, I have my family. I have a newborn son at home. He was, he was all smiles. He was just perfect of two imperfect people put together. Um, so fast forward two months, go back to work, and I leave out at about 7.45 in the morning. I kiss my boyfriend and my son goodbye before I leave out for work. At about between 11.30, maybe 12, 12.15, it was on a Thursday, um, I get a phone call at work, and the phone call is, hey, you need to come home. Well, I've just used my time for my pregnancy, so I don't have any time to leave work. So I'm like, why do I have to leave? Like, I need a reasonable explanation, excuse me, explanation to leave because I don't have any time. Right. So nobody wants to tell me on the phone that my son's not breathing. So they finally tell me, well, the baby's not breathing. So I immediately am hysterical. I start um, hyperventilating. I go into my boss's office and I said, hey, I need to leave. My son's not breathing. Well, they wouldn't let me leave work in that condition. So she had my coworker go with me. And as I, as I explained this, you know, um, you hear people that say when they lose a child or a family member, you can, they can feel their souls leave. They feel that. I firsthand felt that experience. I was in the car on the way to my home to get my boyfriend so we could go to the hospital. And I felt, I felt his soul leave. I knew he was gone. There was no question in my mind, in my soul. I knew he was gone. Right. So we get to the hospital and um, they take us into the green room or the quiet room. And from my experience, those are not good places to go. So it was really solidified when I knew that I was going into that room. Um, speaking with the worker that was working day, they didn't want me to see my son. They said uh, it would be too much. So I had explained to her, like, hey, I literally got a phone call at work. I haven't seen my son since this morning. I have to see my son. So he told me that I had to keep myself closed as best as possible. So they took me back after getting the okay from the doctor. And when I walked to the emergency room and got to my son's room, he was, when he passed, he was two months and three days old. So he was 63 days old. Wow. Um, seeing him hang on the, the bed in the emergency room, there was a doctor and maybe about five or six months inside the room with him. Two were doing chest compressions on him. There were nurses coming in and out. There were two sheriffs outside. He said, yes. he said, we've been working on your son for an hour. And they were working on him for 45 minutes in ambulance before they got here. They said, I, I apologize, but I have to call time of death. And I lost it. I, there was everything with me became unraveled. I left out of the emergency room and I went back to the quiet room. And I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Um, and from there, we had to speak with two detectives. We had to replay the story. Then we had to speak with the coroner. Um, we had to speak with some other professionals there as well because. Since he was an infant, it was automatically opened up as a AC pest case. So we had that going on. Um, and it was, it felt like I was in the twilight. 
I felt um, I was in one of those rooms with mirrors all the way around me, and it was a maze, and I couldn't get out. Yeah. It was the worst mirror that I couldn't wake up from, and I couldn't figure out how to get out. And it was so surreal. Just It was like watching myself through this, and nobody could find me, and nobody could help me. I couldn't help my son. And it was, it was just really crazy. It was the, the worst emotional thing I've ever in my life been through. So I, I want to ask you, Jasmine, um, you, you know, as, as you're trying to get through the next um, few days, the, the, the next, I guess, uh, a couple of weeks, um, what was, uh, what, what was on your, what was on your mind when you found yourself in those, in those dark moments? Um, what, where do you, what were you emotionally going through at the time? Emotionally, I was broken. Um, I was really broken. My mother didn't for my boyfriend and his family, so it was like a tug of war between the families. Not to mention, um, I used to, the agency that I worked for, we had good insurance and everything, and I had did what any mother does, and I had signed up for everything that I knew that my son needed, life insurance, everything. And I made the phone call the next day to start making arrangements for his funeral. And I found out that things didn't go as planned. So I found out that I actually had no um, no life insurance policy to take care of my son's funeral arrangements. So that was the lowest I felt. I felt like... I almost felt like I had died and I felt like there was no one to assist me, no one to help because the people that were around me didn't know how to deal with the grief that they were going through. So my boyfriend was dealing with his own grief and then my mom was dealing with her own grief. So everyone just dealt with it. By themselves so there I'm kind of like um, your wife where I had to literally talk myself into making arrangements into continuing the business so I could get those things taken care of yeah yeah so so what um, did you were you involved in 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 church is there what was there a higher power um, within the, uh, within the, the, I, I guess here's, here's what I see a lot of times, um, in different family situations, like let's, let's take a funeral. Like there is, um, funerals can be different in families with hope, right? And then, and then families without hope. And, and I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is, was there, was there a whole lot of, uh, um, I'm sensing there wasn't a whole lot of hope in this particular situation. So there was some hope, but not a whole lot. It's like nobody knew how to deal with it because I guess you could say I was the first person that everybody knew yeah. that had been through this. So nobody really knew what to say, how to comfort me, or even what to do. Um, I had a couple of friends that just came and got me and just, you know, showed that they were there. But it's really hard to speak on that when you've never yourself been through those type of scenarios and you know no one wants to say or do the wrong thing so so but, let me ask you this yeah. now knowing what you know um how important 
is it for people um, to, to be able to connect to things like this, uh, for people to be connected to this book, to, to read this book? And how important is it to connect with other people who have been through something similar to your situation? I think it's extremely important um, because I do I do believe that people do not realize the emotional grief that comes along with this and it's either it's kind of like a sink or swim type of thing you either stay there You either stay there in that grief and you wallow in it and you eventually lose yourself inside the grief. Yeah, and I think... Or... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, you're fine. <laughs> well, I, I you know, can relate to that because I had a moment where it was like, I have to make a choice. Am I going mm-hmm. to let this overtake me? Am I going to kind of succumb to the grief and just kind of my white flag or am I going to say I've got to do something to, to push forward because I actually had a moment um, where I did, I was just like, I'm done. Like I didn't, you know, even having my older daughter and my family, it was just one of those where there's something inside of you with that grief that just almost keeps you there. Yes. And I remember coming home, I was kind of going through the motions of life and just like, Hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I was coming home from church one day and all of a sudden it hit me and it was like, um, Callie Grace, my daughter that we lost, you know, she would want her mommy to be happy to go on living and like, I do have things worth living for. Like I have, I have a family and I have, and it was just one of those kind of moments that hit me that I was like, okay, like that was enough to kind of push me to say, Callie Grace would not want her, her mommy to be this way. So for, for her and for my family, I'm going to keep going and, and do everything that I can. Exactly. I I 100% agree with you. It actually took me, it took me longer. It took me um, 10 years to actually come around to that point. I had, by that time, I had had two more kids. I had gave birth to my son, Mokai, and then my son, Dominic, um, who are still with us today. Um, But we had moved from the Midwest to Phoenix, Arizona. We didn't know anyone. And we were pretty much out here by ourselves besides um, the person I had came out here with. And it was his 10 year anniversary and I went to work as I normally would trying to get through the day. And I couldn't, I literally, everything hit me like a, like a brick wall. It, 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 it was to the point where I could not function. I had to, I was told to leave work. I left work and I couldn't, literally could not function. I couldn't do anything but go to sleep. And it was said to me, because I've never been to my son's gravesite, it was um, suggested to me to begin celebrating his life. Mm, yeah. And in grief, you, you don't really, it takes a minute to get to that point. Sometimes it takes us longer. Sometimes it doesn't. But celebrating was the least bit of thing from my mind. So every year I do three balloon releases a year. I do one on his birthday, which is February 20th. I do one the day that he passed, which is April 23rd. And then I do one on the day that I actually buried him, which is May 1st. So each one of the excuse me, each one of those days, I do a balloon release. Um, And that has, I can't even imagine, I can't even um, explain how much just that celebration of life and allowing myself to heal and allowing myself to celebrate and love him all at the same time 
it helps you to release all of that grief and the pain that you have felt behind the loss of a child. You know, uh, for us, the balloon release um, on Callie Grace's birthday is a um, is kind of a it's a special thing. It's just uh, I'm I'm with you a hundred percent. It's just it's kind of an acknowledgement of of her existence of her of her short time with us of of her here and so uh i i agree i want to i want to jump back over jasmine i'll come back to you i want to jump back over to um michelle and um michelle um i have a question okay when somebody picks up this book don't suffer in silence i am resilient and they read your portion of the story and they flip that page for the final time and either they finish the book or, or whatever, when they're done with your portion of the story, what are you hoping that the reader will get out of um, your chapter, your, your story inside Don't Suffer in Silence? or don't struggle in silence? Um, I think what I am hoping, and not hoping, I believe that anyone who picks up or reads my part of the story will walk away with um, inspiration that there can be hope after loss. Um, that is my, that is what I live by after experiencing that loss. It took me a while to get there, but when I got there and realized like there was life after losing my baby girl, um, and I have dedicated my life to just sharing my story and just trying to raise awareness about it. And so that's my story. There's hope after loss. So I pray that someone that reads that part of my story, um, I pray that they leave with that, knowing that there can be hope after loss. I love that. I love that. And so that's, um, that's, that's powerful. And you, and you bring up a good point about, uh, and let's go ahead and bring, uh, uh, Amy, I want to, I want to ask you a question. Um, and and this one's for uh, Amy Lands, by the way. We have two <laughs> Amys on here, so we have to be specific. Um, so, Amy, you, you know, when when somebody flips that page for the final time on on your your chapter, um, what are what are you hoping the impact will be uh, upon that reader? You know, I'm going to echo what Michelle just said. And I, before my daughter was born, used to say, life is good. Life is good. And I had to learn that life is still good. And so what I want readers to learn from my experience is that, again, as Michelle said, that there is hope, but that life can be good again. Um, and I think that's the most important thing that I needed at the time. I needed to know that I could survive. I needed to know that I could hold hope. And I needed to know that life could be good again. And so I'm hoping that when readers read the chapter of my book, that they can see from my example, my truthful lived experience, that life can be good again. That's beautifully said. That's, that's beautifully said. Um, Jasmine, do you agree that, that life can be good again? Do you agree with that statement? Absolutely. And, and, Absolutely. And in that statement, what is your aspiration for when somebody reads your story, Jasmine? What are you, what are you hoping for for that person? Well, one, I, I believe that um, every moment in life should be cherishable. I believe that um, with my story, I try to take every moment, every little piece of my pregnancy from the time he came home on, that everything is pressure, um, is cherishable. Life is short, live in the moment, but at the same time, there is light at the end of the tunnel when dealing with this. And if myself and all of the wonderful ladies that I and in collaboration with, if we can find the strength to get through to this, to the other side, you can too. 
I love that. That was well said. And um, to uh, Amy Ravenbart, my Amy. (laughs) um, So she, Jasmine mentioned there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, What, what is that light? What, what is that light at the end of the tunnel? What, what, what is it that you're living for that you're hoping for? Uh, What do you desire out of people reading your story? And, and what does that light look like for you? For me, I think, you know, obviously just being a person of faith and having Jesus as my anchor and my, my hope, and that's the foundation um, of where I ultimately found all of my strength. And I feel like God used people in our lives to, it was just, when I look back in the moment, I may, I may not have seen it, but as I look back, I see things that were just unfolded. And it was, it was not my doing because I was kind of a, a, a mess. Um, but I absolutely do think that there's light at, a, at the end of the tunnel. And I think just being able to recognize, and I think from all of our stories, just saying, I hope that people, when they read it, see like, this isn't the end, your story's not over, and that this can be used for good. Um, because I remember thinking, you know, when we got the diagnosis with Callie Grace, like nothing ever good is going to come from this. And I have been just blown away by how my perspective has changed. And I've seen other women's lives change because of what I went through. Like my hurt is being used to heal somebody else. And that in itself is just what these, these stories, this collaboration um, is for to say, hey, we've been in that place of hurt and there is healing. And that's what I hope people um, will gain and us to be able to use some of the stuff because they may not know. I mean, there's not a book that's wrote necessarily for, hey, this is what you need to do um, in this situation when you lose a baby. Um, and so I hope that us just stepping out and saying, these are some tools that we used um, and that'll be a lifeline for somebody. Yeah, and and I agree completely that that you know one thing this life does not come with is step by step instructions, yeah. <laughs> a blueprint, if you will. But I I do believe that our life uh, does come with some instructions. Yeah. And I think um, for us, um, our instructions are deeply rooted. Uh, in the Word of God. And so for us, that's where we really find um, our our strength as a family, and that's what we really stand on. And I just want to say to all three or four of you women, um, Amy, Michelle, Amy, and Jasmine, um, you really are superheroes uh, in, in my opinion. I believe all moms are superheroes. I talked about one time Um, I was at, uh, I was actually waiting for a COVID, um, test one time and I saw a lady pull up beside me with a, with a small child who was just, man, just in terrible, terrible shape. And there were so many people in the hospital or at the doctor's office, we were all having to wait outside in the parking lot to go in and get checked out and see what was going on with us. And this little boy was so sick and he would, she would open the door and and he would throw up and, and she would close the door and hold him and just love on him and then open the door and he would just throw up again. And there was, there was no agitation. You could see that she was obviously sick too, but she was not letting it show in her love for her son. It was a, like for me, when somebody throws up, I'm in panic mode. I want to run. And like this mom was so strong and powerful in her love for this kid. And it just rocked my world. And it blew my mind at how, when, when I pulled off from there, I was like, you moms really are like superheroes. She was everything for that kid uh, when she obviously was in a bad place for herself. And so uh, a lot of times as, as women, I don't think you guys are given um, the credit that you deserve. I don't think that you are given 
um, uh, an outlet like you should have to be able to release. And I'm excited for you guys to have this book collaboration and be able to have this as an outlet um, for you all to be able to um, kind of release some of that hope and and some of that pain and some of that fear and be able to release that into the world. And I truly am believing that many, 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 many people will be affected by this. And again, um, I just want to thank all of you. Uh, when can we look for, is that public knowledge? When can we look for the release of this book? Yes. May 2nd um, is going to be the book release. Okay. And so we actually have, um, other women that are going to be part of this collaboration. How many total? Uh, five of us total. So Is that we with have Ashley? Aviva and Ashley. So with Ashley six. Okay. So we have, we have a couple more um, who will be on a later episode here that we will get. Uh, they couldn't tune in today. And so we will get their stories coming up in a soon, um, in, a, in an episode upcoming. So please listeners be on the lookout for that. But let me ask you, um, uh, Michelle, really quick, how can people find out more information about you? How can they get in touch with you? Um, they can follow me on Facebook as Michelle X. They can follow me on Instagram at J-U-S, call Michelle, all one word. Or they can head over to my nonprofit, MiracleSpeaks.org, and they can connect with me there. Perfect. All right. Amy Lands. How can people connect um, with you if they wish to reach out? All of my handles on social media are Amy Lands Author, and my website is amylandsauthor.com, and my name is spelled A-M-I-E-L-A-N-D-S. Yes. Please make sure you guys get A-M-I-E, because my uh, Amy is different, and then every other <laughs> Amy is different. So, yes. All right. Great. True. <laughs> Jasmine, how can people find out more information about you if they wish to reach out? So I have my Facebook, which is Butterflies Jade. I have my Instagram, which is Poka, P-O-C-K-A-0-6. And then I also have my, um, my business side, which is Hustle 52 Weeks. And that's on Facebook and Instagram. So you can reach me at any four of those platforms. Okay. And also, guys, um, I can add some of these to the show notes as well. And so you can actually look. Uh, in my in my show notes when we release this episode. Amy, finally for you, how can we find more information if somebody wants to reach yes, out? I have uh, Instagram is A-K-L-E-A-L-E-A-1-2-3. And then uh, just email is A-K-L-E-A-L-E-A-1-2-3 at yahoo.com. All right. Well, I think this has been a phenomenal, phenomenal episode to anyone um, listening. I just want you guys to be encouraged by the strength of these women, by the hope that is found uh, inside of each and every one of these stories. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Life can be good again. We will, uh, uh, through the sharing of our testimony and through the, the, the people that we surround ourselves in, and through the God of heaven and earth that, that we put our trust in, that we stay rooted and firmly uh, uh, just rooted in. And, and I mean, guys, without, with God, all things are possible. You know, with God, all things are possible. And I'm just, I'm getting so excited. I'm wanting to preach, but we got to, we got to bring this here to a close. So, uh, ladies, if you will hold on just for a second, as for our listeners, we will see you in the next couple of days. <laughs>